I tell you, I'm excited about Christmas, and uh, I'm excited about this series. And so, why don't you, with me, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And let's go back to where we began last week, reading verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter 1, the Christmas story uh, and, and the birth of, uh, of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph <clears throat> woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we get to come together and worship you in song and prayer, in giving. And Lord, we thank you so much for your word, which comes from your very heart, transmitted through mere mortals, men. And you guided them, and your Holy Spirit has protected what uh, you've asked them to write down. And now today, as we listen to this uh, Christmas uh, story once again, we have so much to learn, and we thank you that we get to study together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we have uh, week two in our... By the way, there's only like 15 days until Christmas. Aren't you excited? Yes? Christmas food, turkey, ham, presents, all the chillins coming around. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. But this morning we're looking at this story and we're carrying on a little bit where we see now <clears throat> that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. And betrothed is a, a legal coming together. They were as if they were married in that day and age. And so when uh, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, he had to make a decision. Will he trust God or do what Maybe others would do quietly divorcing her and moving on with his life. And he knew God. He loved God and he trusted God. And he continued on in that relationship and he became the foster father for Jesus. And he gave Jesus, as the father would in those days, his name. His name is Jesus. But I find it interesting that the angel Gabriel came and, and spoke the truth, the great news that was coming. By the way, the angel Gabriel, his name, since we're talking about what's in a name, his name means God is my strength. 
And Gabriel's been around for a while, uh, from uh, the time that uh, all of us were on the earth, the angels were there ministering in heaven. But guess what? His one job was to go and tell good news. Isn't that a great job to get? I want that job. Just tell the good news. Remember Daniel, that great uh, leader in the Old Testament? A book uh, is all about Daniel's uh, exploits as a, uh, a governor under the Babylonian uh, captors that he was under. And uh, Daniel was a great man of faith, great man of prayer. As well, Daniel was a, a man who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote all about future things to come. But to get to those future things, he would often have visions in his dreams. He would dream, and God would speak to him through dreams. Sometimes those visions were very difficult to understand. Guess who came along and helped Daniel understand those visions? Gabriel. Gabriel came and talked to Daniel, helped him understand that what Daniel saw was good news, that the Messiah was to come. The anointed one is what uh, Gabriel called him. And guess what? Jesus is that anointed one. And so Gabriel came to declare to Mary and Joseph that this one that was to come was Jesus. His name was to be Jesus. The one who, what, do you remember what Jesus' name means? He will save his people from their sins. His name was Jesus. A miracle from God. Yahweh will save. Many others have been named Jesus before Jesus. And their name was very clearly a name that testified that God was their Savior. They would walk around and everybody say, hi, Jesus. Everybody basically in the ears would, would hear this, God is my Savior. And that's kind of cool, isn't it? But when Jesus came on the scene, his name was more than just uh, a simple name that testified to what God was going to do. He himself would be that salvation. When Jesus came on the scene, he came to say, I am your salvation. And that was the news that Gabriel came. Jesus' birth was so unique, so miraculous. But Jesus' birth was in no way a surprise. God didn't say... Okay, I'm just going to hold some stuff back. I'm just going to hold back the fact that I am going to come. I'm going to send God the Son to become a human. No. He, he predicted it through uh, Daniel's prediction and other predictions. So first and foremost this morning, let's remember that Emmanuel's birth was predicted in the Old Testament. We got that. And, and it says... Um, in verse 22 of uh, this uh, passage here, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. This was a fulfillment, uh, the, the most exciting fulfillment of every prophetic message that had ever been given. For fulfill what the Lord had spoken. And it's a simple way in that statement uh, telling the reader that God inspired men from days gone by to write exactly what he wanted us to know. And we call this biblical inspiration. And I, I want to, just in the most simple definition this morning, a simple, simple, you can really expand on this. Simply, biblical inspiration is the word of the Lord 
coming through human instruments. And God protected that through all these years. So that as you open this book, you can trust it. Maybe we don't understand everything in it because there are some difficult passages. There are some difficult things to understand. But we know that the Holy Spirit, God himself, has kept this book so we can live our lives in a way that it is a light unto our path and we can know how to live. And so Matthew uses this phrase uh, about uh, the Lord has spoken through the prophets to fulfill uh, what he wanted everyone to know. And it correlates to all of Jesus' ministries uh, with all these Old Testament uh, predictions. Just think about this. All the basic uh, happenings and experiences, the truths of the New Testament, are all the culmination, the completions, the fulfillments of revelation God had already made. Uh, And many of those revelations in the Old Testament uh, were, as I said, hard to understand. A lot of them were veiled and in partial form, so it was very challenging for people to know. And this one is a little challenging. This one that we find this morning that Matthew is referring to in Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah. We're going to spend a few minutes there. Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14 is where we get this, uh, this prediction uh, being fulfilled uh, or being first given. Isaiah 7, uh, particularly verses 10 to 14, uh, is a prophetic declaration given to the house of David by Isaiah the prophet. Let's read it. Isaiah 7 and 10 to 14. Let's go from 10. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, it is too little for you to be to weary men that you would weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah, whose name is uh, Yahweh is salvation, is best known for his book, uh, a very heavy book, many, many chapters uh, of God working through the prophet Isaiah with kings of Israel and particularly kings of Judah. And I'll explain that in a second. But kings of Judah, many of whom were great kings, but many who were bad kings, really did not honor God. And so here he is in Isaiah 7, speaking to one of the bad kings, Ahaz. Ahaz is a terrible, terrible king. He's a faithless king of Judah. And this was the time, uh, let me give you, I know you love history. Everybody shake your head. Yes, I love history. Here's a little history that we need to know. This is why it's good to go back in the Old Testament to understand the New Testament, particularly if you go into 1st, 2nd Chronicles, 1st, 2nd Samuel. Very helpful to understand some of the history of Israel. But here was a time when Ahaz, king of Judah, was uh, under siege by two other kingdoms. Uh, One by Rezin. Uh, Rezin was the king of Syria. Damascus was the headquarters of Syria. And then Pekah or Pekah, depending on your 
pronunciation choice, who was the king of Israel. Now, immediately you're going, what is this? Israel? Judah? What's, what's going on here? Uh, Israel uh, was the headquarters of Israel. It was in Samaria. Now, you, you know a lot of, uh, in the New Testament, Jesus talking to Samaritans, and no, none, no good Jew loved the Samaritans, right? Put this together. What we have here is the divided kingdom of Israel. Think about this. As soon as the children of Israel entered the promised land, what a joyful day. Joshua led them into this wonderful land. As soon as they got in this promised beautiful land, all the 12 tribes, they started to clash. Particularly 10 of the tribes started to clash with a couple of the tribes. And to keep this history lesson a little bit short, in 975 B.C., the children of Israel divided into two kingdoms, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Judah was the kingdom that was really following Yahweh. And uh, Judah, we call that the good kingdom to a greater extent. They weren't perfect. They weren't great, but they were good. And Israel was in the north, and they were not following. They, they actually made Samaria their capital of worship when everyone knew who was a Jew that where was the capital of worship to be? Jerusalem. So there's your little history land. So we see a, a really divided kingdom now. And Israel in the north had teamed up with, uh, with Syria, and Rezin and Pekah are going to uh, take over and beat down Judah and take their land. And so it says in Isaiah 7, again, verses 1 and 2, In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. Verse 2, uh, when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, Ephraim being the tribe of Israel, that was the leading tribe of the uh, divided Israel, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook like the trees of the forest before the wind. So did you note there at the end how serious this is in King Ahaz's mind? says, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of the people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. They were terrified at what was coming at them. Two strong kingdoms were coming at them. As a matter of fact, they were so strong, I think what we read here is they knew they were done for. That the kingdom of Judah was on the precipice of falling. Yet, in Isaiah 10 to 14, just a few verses forward of that, God is telling Ahaz, don't fear. Relax. I got your back. Don't fear. Says the reason that they should not fear is that Yahweh is with them. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think? As we go about our day as Christians, guess what? We know that God is with us. As a matter of fact, God is with us more than was with the people of Judah because Jesus, when he left, he left us God, 
the Holy Spirit to dwell within us. So everywhere we go, God is with us. Emmanuel, our Savior, is with us. By the way, a little bit more about Ahaz. I'll I'll conclude the history lesson today. Because Ahaz is a very interesting character. As a king of Judah, uh, he took on kingship at age 20. And for four years, he ruled the kingdom with his father, Jotham. And Jotham was a wonderful, good king. So four years with his dad. Wouldn't you think, oh, this man is going to be a wonderful king after being under this, such of this wonderful king, Jotham. And so for four years, he ruled with him, and then his father died. And then for 16 years, he ruled Judah. And he was a terrible king terrible king. As a matter of fact, 2 Kings 16, 2 Chronicles 28 records his, uh, his record of being a king and the terrible practices that he did. Like, he, he sacrificed his own children. Can you imagine how evil you have to be to sacrifice your own kids? Uh, and, the, and, and most terribly, uh, above and beyond that, he desecrated the temple where God was to be worshipped. He did things in the temple of God that no person should even have to comprehend. And so the kingdom of, uh, of Judah, under, under his leadership, was eventually destroyed by the actions and the leadership of Ahaz. The thing that they didn't want happened because of how Ahaz led his home, his country. And here we see in 7... 10 to 14, Ahaz answers God. He makes a, what appears to be, to me, a pious answer. He, he says, uh, uh, verse 12, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now you remember Jesus got upset with the Pharisees and the scribes and all these religious leaders who kept asking him for a sign. And he says, you know, I'm not going to give you a sign. You won't believe what you've seen. Why would I give you another sign? But here, Ahaz is being told by God, ask me for a sign. As, as low as hell, as high as, as heavens could be the sign. Whatever you want, I will give you a sign to prove that I am with you. And I will protect the land and the people of Judah. But Ahaz says, no, I don't need a sign, Lord. I, I, I'm... I'm okay. As a matter of fact, what he's really saying is, I will not ask, I will not put to the Lord to test because I have put trust in myself and my strategic abilities to lead. Isn't that what he's saying? I'm not going to have to trust you, God, because I'm in control. By the way, just a, a little note of encouragement. Ahaz's son was Hezekiah. Now, if you know anything about Old Testament kings, you know Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah was a king who, who uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, tells us in 2 Chronicles 29. And he reversed everything that his father had done. I want to encourage some of you today, because I have had lots of conversations as pastor with many people about children who have gone their own way and have determined to live their lives in their own strength, under their own strategies, 
not putting their faith and trust in Christ. And if you have children like that today, do one thing for them. Just keep praying. Maybe it's somebody in your home that's struggling. Keep praying. Keep praying for them. God can break that, that chain. God can break even generational chain of sin and uh, our children who walk away. And, and you know what? If you're praying for your child who's not with the Lord, not walking with the Lord, guess what? Maybe their child will experience the blessing of your prayers and be like Hezekiah and walk with the Lord and do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So keep praying. Don't give up. God can do miracles in your life and in that loved one's life. Don't give up praying. So when Ahaz refused to ask for a sign, Isaiah, speaking for God again, turns his offer from Ahaz himself to the house of David. Do you notice that? Look in verse 13 of Isaiah 7. Verse 13, he says, Ahaz, here's my offer to you. Okay, Ahaz, you don't want the offer? Then the offer from Isaiah goes out to the house of Israel. Hear then, O house of David. And he tells him, the sign is to be a boy named Emmanuel. This was God saying to the house of David, uh, of the people of Judah, that he was to be with them and ultimately save them. Our passage today explains that Christ received the, this name in fulfillment of this uh, prophecy. Some 500 years later, Christ came on the scene and fulfilled this prophecy. A lot of people love the name Emmanuel. Uh, we sing it at Christmas so much. It's, it's a lovely sounding name. As some might even say, it has a good ring to it, you know? Uh, when I think of the name Emmanuel, I, I, I have comfort. I feel comfort. I think of hope. Does that come to your mind when you think of Emmanuel, God, with us? Yet when we think of it, the name Emmanuel, we should think of so much more behind that name. Uh, the, the name Emmanuel is, a, is a, almost like a bottomless reservoir of wonderful Wonderful blessings. Uh, in the name Emmanuel, we see the beauty and blessings uh, found in the fact that God is with us. Jesus, the incarnate Savior. That's the beautiful and the beauty of Emmanuel. Oh, I, I just have to turn to John chapter 1. Uh, you know John 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Think about that for a second. That is John talking to this whole uh, prophetic mindset of Jesus is Emmanuel. But if you stop there, it, it, it would be good, but you don't want to stop there. You want to read through that and get down to verse 14, where it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. His glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, 
Emmanuel, God with us. He took bone of our bones and flesh of our flesh upon himself and became one of us. And because the Son of God took himself on himself, our flesh, I can see very quickly four blessings represented in his name, Emmanuel. Maybe today this will encourage you. The first blessing I see he is God with us to reconcile sinners to God. Isn't that the greatest blessing of all? Jesus, Emmanuel, reconciling sinners to God. I know everyone in this room probably at least has heard this or, or fully understands this, that we are all alienated from a, a, a relationship with God. God can't have any fellowship with us because of the sin in our lives. And I mentioned it last week that as we looked at the name of Jesus, Emmanuel came to save his people from their sins. Romans 5.8, Paul, the great theologian, says this so clearly without any question. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that wonderful? That Emmanuel, God with us, came to reconcile us so that we might have an eternal relationship with us. And we don't have to do anything. He's done it all. That's the beauty of the good news, the gospel. Jesus paid the price in full as he died on that cross and then rose again. Jesus gave his life as the sin offering for us so that we as sinners can be brought back into fellowship with God. And you could read 1 John 1, the whole chapter, but let me just remind you, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. That's such a powerful verse reminding us that Jesus is the one who reconciled and cleanses us from sin. What a blessing. What a, what a beautiful thing that we, we, we see and understand in the name Emmanuel. Even that, that guy on, on, uh, beside Jesus uh, on his own cross, you know, Jesus looked at him and said, Jesus, or he looked at Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That man expressed faith in Christ as Savior. And Jesus said, you're okay. I got you. You're going to be with me forever. That's what he says to you today. As long as you go to him and say, Lord, I'm putting my faith and trust in you alone. Not like Ahaz who put him faith and trust in himself to deliver him from the, all the troubles. But he put his faith and trust in Jesus. Will you do that today? If you've never done, done that, it's simply expressing to the Lord that you know you're a sinner and you know that Jesus is the only answer. You do that, put your faith and trust in Christ, you don't have to worry. But it's got to be sincere, doesn't it? It's got to be like, I know Jesus is my only hope. And then you go on a journey, like many of us have been, of discovering the beauty and the blessing of our Redeemer, our Reconciler, Jesus. That's the first one. Second one is, he is God with us, Emmanuel, to guide, empower, and expand his church 
John 14, if you read that sometime, you'll see that as Jesus was talking to his disciples before he was crucified, they were concerned, where are you going to go? What about us? And he says, don't worry. I will leave you the comforter. I will leave you the spirit of God. And he will be with you. And he will guide you, empower you. And he will allow the church to grow. Uh, we don't do this in a lot of churches. We don't provide catechisms anymore. Anybody do a catechism class? Yeah, a few people did. Good, good, good. Catechisms were great because they basically, the truths of Scripture uh, almost codified so that there'd be a question and then an answer. And uh, I, I was looking throughout some of the catechisms. There's one called the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Reformed Church Catechism. And it says this, question and answer, verse 40, uh, number 47. It says, with respect to his Godhead, majesty and gr uh, grace and spirit, he is at no time absent with us. Isn't that wonderful? That's a great catechism. That's a great truth to teach children. God has never, ever left us alone. In the good times and the bad times, he can be with you if he is your Emmanuel. And, and Jesus even said it as he left this planet. He left the mission to the disciples. He says, behold, lo, I am with you always. Emmanuel, he's with us. The third blessing, beauty of Emmanuel is he is God with us to comfort his people. Have you ever gone through some difficult days? Maybe you're going through one right now. There is a psalm that reminds us of the comfort that he offers his people. Psalm 46, the whole psalm is just breath of fresh air when you're under the weight of tornadoes and storms in your life. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength. And listen to this next part. A very present help in trouble. When we stop and we just think and we pray and we meditate and we are reminded that God is with you in the storm. And there are people in this room, many people who could testify of the storms that they've experienced in life. And God was there. They knew he was with him, with them. And they, they knew that he was guiding them through those difficult days. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. So Christian, you don't need to fear trouble or be troubled in difficult times. Wars and rumors of wars and financial problems and sicknesses are just a time where I think the scriptures teach us God reveals himself more than ever. If we will open eyes of faith. Not like Ahaz. Ahaz had, he had no faith, no trust in God. If he had only opened his heart and his eyes of faith, he could have seen how God would be there. We, he could trust God. God's presence with his people is constant. The Lord of hosts is with us. 
and believers, God is, is with you. He's, he's near you. He will protect you. He will keep you. Lastly, the beauty and the blessing of Emmanuel, God with us, is he is God with us to bring his people to glory. Just think of this. He's with us, and it's not just about now. There is coming a day when this will be done, and we will be with him in glory. It says in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 21, Wonderful chapter. All of them are great. We'll actually, as I teased out a week or so ago, that we're going to look into the book of Revelation. We'll at least start it in January. Look at the seven churches that Jesus was speaking to. But here in Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down and out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to the, what the voice is saying. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will be with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. Isn't that, isn't that precious? Isn't that something to look forward to? In glory, the presence of God with his people would be perfect and uninterrupted. And if you even go on to Revelation 22, 4, it tells us we shall see him face to face. Now that's going to be awesome. To be able to look at your Savior, Emmanuel, look in his face. Be able to say to him face to face, thank you, my Jesus, my Emmanuel. All right. Let me ask a couple questions, three questions. Do you believe in this record God has given of Emmanuel? Do you trust God's word? If you don't, I get it. There's some challenges. But when we ask God to reveal in his, his word to us, with, with a heart that has faith that says, Lord, help me in my unbelief, he will reveal that. Do you believe that Emmanuel is God with us? Is he, even more importantly, is he your Emmanuel? Think about this. It's a question. Can you just fathom, even today, how low God the Son stooped to save us? We can't imagine what the triune, uh, eternal uh, relationship was like. We can't just imagine. And the Trinity, God, chose to send the Son to stoop into the dirt and the grime of our world to be Emmanuel. If that does anything for you today, it should raise a heart of praise and thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. And are you experiencing the blessing of Emmanuel, God with us? Are you experiencing the blessing of the presence of Christ in your life? And 
These blessings can only be ours as we know Jesus personally by faith. And as we think of his name being Jesus, his name being Emmanuel, it calls us to ask ourselves, have I been born again? Have I put my trust in Jesus? Many in this room already would say yes. By the way, how do you know you're a Christian? How do you know that you are a born-again, faith-filled follower of Jesus? Think about that for a quick second. How do you know? Don't you want to know, first of all? You want to know? I say there's a very simple, straightforward way to know. Has your life been changed by your relationship with Jesus? Look back over your life. Look present in your life. Has your life been transformed by this relationship with Emmanuel? If your life has not been transformed, if you don't see the change in your life of character, of actions, of thinking, of speech, you have to seriously ask yourself the question, am I born again? And if you can't be sure of that, that's a scary place to be, isn't it? Has Jesus changed my life? I know for many of you, your answer is, oh, he sure has. And let me tell you how Jesus has changed my life. This Christmas, let's rejoice in the birth of the Savior. In his beloved name, Jesus, Yahweh saves. And in his beautiful name, Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for this day and again looking into your word and discovering truths out of a name, Emmanuel. We thank you that Jesus stooped so low to pay the price for our sins. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room who does not know Jesus or is is struggling in their faith, that today you would open their eyes, miraculously, Spirit of God, touch their life today, that they might speak words of faith given to them by you that says, I'm a sinner and I, I got to trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Help me today to have a life lived in faith in Yahweh, the Savior, Emmanuel, the one who is with me. And I pray this in Jesus' name.